sitting in for George Norrie. All right. For uh, thousands of years, six ancient Egyptian coffins had been sealed to the outside world, their contents unknown. Now scientists used technology to peer inside the coffins, which are now housed at the British Museum in London. And for the first time since their burial, the uh, mummified remains of several animals, including a complete lizard skull, have been revealed. The coffins, which range in length from approximately 2 inches to 12 inches and date to between 664 BC and 250 BC, were unearthed in the ancient city of Naucratis and Tel El Yehudia in 1885. They were constructed using copper compounds and feature figures of lizards, eels, and cobras on their exteriors. The providence of the other two coffins is unknown. Because the coffins were constructed of metal, scientists used a metal or a method called neutron tomography, a uh, non-invasive technology that, unlike x-rays, isn't affected by metal, to look inside the coffins for the first time since their burial. You can read more of this story in the In the News section up at coasttocoastam.com. And if you like what you hear from me tonight, this morning, you might want to visit my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, where you can stream and subscribe to my podcast, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet is the podcast. If you want to get deeper into the podcast, you might want to think about a premium subscription. There are three subscriber tiers to choose from, and you get access to commercial-free listening, a free subscription to my monthly newsletter, discounts on merchandise, and even an exclusive monthly Q&A with me over Zoom, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Back to more of your calls on Coast to Coast AM. On the wildcard line, Michael in Bellingham, Washington, has been very patient. Michael, welcome to Coast. Good morning. Richard, I'm honored. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I've been a very, very long-time listener, and today's the first time I've ever called because of the topic that you mentioned. Ah, a stranger that affected your life? Actually, uh, I affected a stranger's life uh, in, a, in a very weird way. Um, I had found out my brother uh, had moved to Philadelphia. I live in Seattle, and uh, we'd lost touch. We didn't talk very often, and Several years went by, and then suddenly somebody called me and said, well, your brother's in the hospital. He had, uh, They found him uh, standing on the side of the bridge. He was thinking about jumping and committing suicide. Oh, dear. And I said, well, gosh, that's horrible, and I felt guilty. I hadn't spoken to him in a couple of years, and so I picked up the phone, and I called the old phone number that I had listed in my contacts for him. And person answers the phone, and I said, Kevin, just listen to me. Don't say anything. Just listen to me for three minutes. And then go ahead and speak. And I went into a three-minute dialogue of, you know, how important life was, how precious it is, and how much people really loved him. And, you know, I'm sad to hear that he's depressed and everything, but really it's, you know, not something worth doing this for and so on and so forth. And then finally at the end of, end of my dialogue, he was really quiet and didn't say anything. And all of a goes, you know, uh, who were you calling? Because well, I was calling my brother Kevin. He goes, well, my name's not Kevin. My name is John. And he goes, I've been sitting here the last couple hours thinking about committing suicide because I lost oh, my dear about Lord. nine months ago from breast cancer. And I have a nine-year-old boy to sleep in the other room and I'm sitting here depressed and thinking about taking my own life. 
He goes, do you believe in God? I said, I do. He goes, well, I was praying really hard the last hour that God would give me some kind of a sign that I shouldn't do this. And then you called. Oh, my. And he says, I'm, I'm so thankful you did, and you're not going to do that anymore. And that was it. That, that is remarkable. I mean, and, and what about your brother? What about your brother in Philadelphia? Did you find him? Yeah, he was fine. I called. Uh, I got the right, correct number for him, and, and he was fine. He was depressed and stood on the side of the bridge and thought, well, I better not do this. And, you know, by then it was a scene, and the police came and took him to the hospital. So, <laughs> But everybody's okay in the end. Uh, it was just a, a, a weird, weird thing how, you know, he just listened and said, I needed someone to call me, and, and, and I'd gotten the wrong number, but I reached the right person. You did indeed. You saved a life. Yeah. So Great story, Michael. Your show and everything you guys do, and uh, thanks for letting me share my story with you today, Richard. God bless you. Ah, uh, wow. Uh, west of the Rockies, Richard is in Buena Park, California. Richard, good morning. Welcome to Coast. Do we have Richard? Are you there? Did we lose Richard? All right. Okay, Richard. Well, if uh, hopefully you'll call back. Uh, Tom is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Tom, welcome to Coast. Um, uh, New York Rangers fan here, and uh, looks like we're off to a good start. Uh, I found your topic uh, very interesting tonight and coincidental because um, I just told a coworker just two, two days ago a story about an encounter with a stranger that uh, – had a profound attitude check on me. I have two stories, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose this one to tell you. I was okay. a teenager uh, growing up in New York City, and I worked in a uh, a full service fast food restaurant all through high school. And I worked the Sunday morning shift, opened the uh, opened the place, and worked all the way through the afternoon all through high school. And there was a group of older gentlemen who came in early Sunday morning. They they got eggs, they drank their coffee, and they just sat there all day long just talking. And as a young high school kid who just couldn't wait to get out and do things all the time, I was so irritated by it. These guys just wasting their lives away, you know, week after week, month, month, year after year. Uh, until one day, one of the gentlemen came over, it was summertime, his short sleeves, comes over, places his order. And when he went to hand me the money to pay for his, uh, his food, I noticed numbers tattooed on his forearm mm. and this was the this was the mid 70s and mm -hmm. I, I i was stunned and i looked at him and i said sir were you in a concentration camp and he said yeah and mm. from that point on i i i that that moment all i could think was you snot <laughs> and i thought you know what if these guys want to sit here if that's what they want to do with their time that's that's their right and uh, um, who am I to, to judge them for deciding to do that with their time? They could do whatever they want for the rest of their lives. That's that's what I was thinking. They were all Holocaust survivors? No, no, just this one gentleman. I don't know if the others were. I don't know any, uh, but this one gentleman. And, and right, thought, right. Oh, my gosh. Who, who was I to, to be thinking the things that I was thinking? Um, can I tell you a second story? Sure. Okay. 
Uh, I was a, a young officer in the Navy and uh, in the early 80s. I, I was a Naval Academy graduate. I was flying the F-14. Um, right after Top Gun, you know, I was, I was just uh, riding the top of the world. And uh, got back from a six-month deployment. Two weeks after I returned from my six-month deployment, I had to go for temporary duty um, down to Florida. I was based in Virginia Beach. And uh, I, 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 I was gone from my girlfriend for six months. And two weeks after I'm back, I have to leave for two more weeks. Well, the weekend in between the two weeks, I was traveling back uh, to Virginia Beach to go see my girlfriend. And I'm sitting in the uh, base operations uh, um, passenger terminal waiting for my flight to go back to Virginia Beach. Not feeling, you know, I was feeling pretty sorry for myself and a young lieutenant. Um, and uh, for all the time I'd spent away and missing my girlfriend. And uh, this older uh, black gentleman goes walking by and he looks at my name tag and and it's uh it's ethnic and it's it's obvious that i i'm of greek uh heritage with my my last name and he says to me oh he, he says my last name he says uh you're greek aren't you and my first thought was oh my gosh here's this old retired guy and i'm gonna have to entertain him and listen to his stories about how he used to load bombs or whatever and and i just wasn't in the mood for it and but i was polite and i said yes i am and he said something to me in Greek, and I thought, and I said to him, "Oh, how do you uh, how do you know the language?" And he said, "Well, I learned it from the Greeks." And I said, "How did you happen to learn from the Greeks?" And he said, "Well, back in World War II, um, I got shot down in my P-51 over the Mediterranean, and Greek fishermen picked me up, and I was with them for about six weeks until they repatriated me." And as he's telling me this 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 brief story, I, I realized. Oh my gosh! This is a Tuskegee Airman, and oh, you should be wow. you should be licking his boots and not worrying about having to entertain him um, uh, while he wants to perhaps tell me his stories. And I was so humbled by my you know, by my my stupid attitude and uh, and the the encounter. So those are my two stories of uh, encounters with strangers that profoundly gave me an attitude check. Oh, amazing. Tom Christos Anesti. Christos Anesti. There you go. Great story. <clears throat> All right. Uh, two great stories. Humbling, right? Humbling. That's, but, you know, don't beat yourself up so much because you were humbled by it. You recognized, you learned the lesson. You learned the lesson, which was to be humble. Some people don't learn that lesson. Uh, Frank is in Phoenix. Good morning, Frank. Welcome to Coast to Coast. Good morning, uh, Richard. This is my first time calling. I've listened for a while. Welcome aboard. First of all, thank you so much. I just wanted to tell you, uh, before I tell my little how wonderfully gentle you and George are to your callers. It's just wonderful. But anyway, let me go back. I'm a career, was a career army officer, entered during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and left uh, during Reagan's first administration. Retired. Uh, I had five Christmases overseas: three in Germany, one in Vietnam, and one in uh, Korea. I want to tell you the story of an encounter. I don't know who the stranger was because she ended up being a stranger, but it was it was Christmas Eve, 
1977. I was away from my family. They were in New Jersey. I was at the 2nd Infantry Division, which is just about 15 miles south of the DMZ. And uh, that can be a tough time for being away from home. So anyway, I decided that I would go down uh, from the base headquarters down into the village. Now, outside of almost every Army base overseas, there's a village. Usually in our area, we had about we're about 40 saloons there and so forth and so on. So I went down to get actually just sort of get energized. I got off the bus, and uh, on the bus usually are workers at the base and soldiers. And so they were. It was pretty crowded going down into the veil. But I got down there and started walking around. And there was there was some Christmas music being played. And uh, but it was really, really to me depressing. The soldiers were trying to, you know, drown their sorrows with a lot of, lot of, a lot of wine and women. But anyway, that was the way it was. And I uh, thought about, uh, hey, I'm a Christian. I should be celebrating this uh, birth of Jesus Christ. So anyway, about 9:30. I got back on the bus. It was not too crowded. Uh, there were some workers going up to the base headquarters, and I was on the bus. And I remember I had to stand, so there must have been a number of people there. But, you know, I looked around, and I said, you know, it is so sad that these Koreans really, I don't know who their gods are. You know, maybe it's ancestors, maybe it's something, but I don't know. But uh, I love these people. But I rode that bus for about 15 minutes, and I noticed a young Korean girl probably about 18, probably a worker at the base. And I looked at her, and she had this this glowing smile. And I said, wow. And I looked closer. Guess what, Richard? She had a cross mm. on a necklace around her neck. Our eyes met. We smiled at each other. I'll tell you what, I got off the bus, and I was so happy. I had made a connection with a sister Christian, and so I took the blues away, Richard. That's my story. Just, just like that. Just something like as simple as that, right? Yes. It doesn't take much, does it? No. No, we just have and, to look. Uh, and you know what? During, during all my travels, I always look for strangers with crosses. I have approached many, many people in airports on bases, anywhere, Safeways, grocery stores. If I see a, someone with a cross and I'll say, hey, does that cross mean anything special to you? And some will say, oh, my grandmother gave that, gave that to me and I just love it. Others will say, yes, it's, it's who I belong to. It's my faith tradition. And others will say something like, mm. but others will say, you know, I really love Jesus. And I said, I do too. Anyway, that sort of makes my day a lot of times. Thank you for sharing that, Frank. That's a wonderful story. I appreciate it. Um, Do we have time for one more? Maybe if we move quickly. Ron is in Taos, New Mexico. Ron, welcome to Coast. Hi, Richard. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, Quickly, uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin for best hard rock album of all time. Hands down, in my opinion. Um, The recent death of uh, journalist uh, Barbara Walters got me to thinking about an interview she did with Telly Savalas. Oh, yes. The actor. Mm -hmm. uh, Best known. Kojak. Who loves you, baby? (laughs) Yeah, who loves you, baby, with the lollipop in his mouth. Yes. She did this interview with him many years ago, and she asked him, have you ever had a supernatural experience? And this is what he told her. 
This happened in 1959, long before he was an actor. He was living in Long Island, New York. He was driving home. He still lived at home late at night, and he ran out of gas in this semi-rural area. A car came by, said, hey, buddy, uh, need a, he got a problem there. And he said, yeah, I ran out of gas. And he says, oh, hop in. I'll give you a ride down to the gas station. It's about a mile down the road. They go down the road. They get gas in a can. Telly says when it came time to pay, he's patting his pockets. And he goes, oh, man, I don't have any money. Guy says, here's a buck. Yeah, wouldn't you like to pay a buck for a gallon of gas? <laughs> anyway, a uh, guy gives him a buck, and Telly says, hey, um, by the way, uh, give me your phone number. I want to reimburse you, okay? I want to I pay you back your, the dollar. Guy says, okay, I'll give you a ride back out to your car. So they get in the guy's car, and they drive out to Telly Salas's disabled or out-of-gas car, and out of the clear blue sky, the driver mentions a name, okay? And it turned out it was a third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. He just blurted it out into the air. And Tilly thought, well, that was kind of weird. Anyway, uh, they put the gas in the car. The guy drove on. Tilly drove home. And the next morning he got up, looked at the paper and the phone number um, that the gentleman had given him. He calls the number. It turned out to be a bar, I think, in New York City. Woman answers the phone, and he says, yes, could I speak to Mr. whatever his name was? And she says, is this a joke? And he, and he said, no, I, this gentleman picked me up last night and gave me a ride to the gas station to get gas. She said, that's my husband. He's been dead for four years. Then. Wow. Uh, I got to get you to hold on, Ron, Ron, I got to get you to hold on. We're heading into the bottom of the hour here. Can you do that for me? I want to hear the rest of the story. All right. Coast to coast AM. Don't go away. All right. Uh, Is Ron in Taos, New Mexico still with us? Are you there, Ron? I am. I am. Okay. So I'm just going to do a a quick recap for for people. Maybe they're just joining us. And uh, we've been talking about people's encounters with strangers. So you wanted to, you, you had seen this interview uh, with the late actor Telly Savalas, who played Kojak, and he was being interviewed by the late Barbara Walter. She asked him whether he had ever had a paranormal experience, and he talked about back before he was an actor, uh, running out of gas on his way back to his home uh, in uh, on Long Island. He runs out of gas. He takes the uh, the empty you know jerry can and he starts heading off you know looking for a gas station. And at some point, I think he's in the woods or something. There's a a man suddenly shows up out of nowhere in a in a vehicle. He didn't hear the car coming without even being asked. The fellow asks him, "Can I give you a dollar for gas?" And um, he gives him. Tully Savalas very appreciatively takes the the dollar, and then this man blurts out the name of some. Uh, I think you mentioned a third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. So, and you had mentioned this is the late 1950s. Uh, so I don't know, that would have been someone like a Frank Melzone who played with the Red Sox at that time. It doesn't matter. Maybe it does. You'll tell me. But anyway, so he just randomly spouts off this baseball player's name. And uh, Telly Savalas says, you know, give me your number because I want to repay you. Man writes his number down for Telly Savalas, takes him, uh, you know, gets the gas, takes him back to his car. He drives back to his home. The next day, he gets up and he decides to call the number uh, that he had written down, 
and it's did you say it was a bar or a restaurant it's a bar it's a bar and a woman answers and he says is this so and so and uh um she says well that was my husband you know is this a joke he died 4 years ago right. do i have that about right have i left anything yeah. out uh no that's 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 the gist of it but here's the rest of it very quickly he goes back to his house and he's perusing the sports page and the name of the guy uh that this stranger who picked him up mentioned just out of the blue yes had died that night at three o'clock in the morning just about the time that telly savalas was picked up by this guy oh wow how weird is that now at the end of the interview he told barbara walters there's more to this story but he left her dangling now, if you go on YouTube and type in Telly Savalas' ghost story, he'll give you part two. Do you want part two, or, or is that enough? No, I'd love to hear part two. Part two was years later, I don't know how many years later, in California, Telly was golfing with some friends. I remember this specifically. He said they were on the seventh hole. And, uh, you know, they're getting ready to tee off, and he hears a voice on a hill in the distance, Telly, Telly. It's the same guy that picked him up, the same voice. (laughs) And he says to Telly, did you see what happened in Dallas today? And Telly Mm. is obviously bewildered by this. Well, he doesn't go up in the hill to encounter the guy. They finish off their round. They go into the clubhouse, and there's a TV on there. And 30 minutes later, uh, a bulletin cuts in. John F. Kennedy has been killed in Dallas. Holy smokes. And and then, if if you go on YouTube, you won't find the Barbara Walters in your interview, but you will find an extended interview on some other program, some British show or something. And at the end of that show, Telly said, there's even more to this story. But he never gave it up. It is, and Richard, I believe every word he said, every word. I'm going to have to go back and find that and check that out. That's amazing. Tell us of Alice. Yeah. Wow. You know what, Bill? What's even more amazing to me was the caller who called in about that suicide call. Whoa. Isn't that something? Yeah. Thinking he's calling his brother. He's trying to talk him down. And he ends up talking to a stranger who was also contemplating suicide and he saved his life. Yes. Amazing. Ron, thank you so much. Great story. Uh, let's say hi to, is it Stanko in La Jolla, California? Stanko, welcome to Coast. Hi, Richard. Uh, good morning, Stanko. Yeah. Hi, good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for uh, Sultans of Swing, my favorite. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Okay, so I'm going to be short and, and concise. So 1986, I'm 25 years old. I'm from former Yugoslavia, from uh, former Yugoslavia, from country Montenegro. Yes. And uh, I'm visiting U.S. for the first time. Don't speak any English, maybe two words. Meeting the girl in a church and uh, decide to visit her. She's living about 50 miles south on the Freeway 5. Borrowing the car from the friend. 
getting direction, going down there, having great time, two o'clock in the morning. It's easy, just reverse directions, right? Right. Well, it's not. I end up in downtown L.A., miss the turn, and I'm in pitch black dark. There's no cars. There's no people. I'm cruising around, digging in my hole deeper and deeper and deeper. There is no directions that I can follow. There is no phones. There is no GPS. I don't have a single coin in my pocket to use the payphone, and I'm totally lost. Wow. I'm driving under the high beams, hoping to bring the daylight in the middle of the, of the dark hole, but nothing is really happening. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, and I'm just praying to God. I said, God, please take me out of here. I'm going to die here. I'm, I'm scared to death. Then I see the guy with the two girls. He's obviously drunk because they're wobbling you know, across the street. And I'm driving towards them, cracking down the window. I start speaking a few words. Sorry, sorry, Hollywood, sorry, Hollywood. The guy looked at me with bloody eyes and speak on the perfect Serbo-Croatian. He said, where are you oh. from? What are, what are you doing here in this hour? Are you crazy? I was, oh. What? The guy says, do you have a tire iron? I need it. I said, oh, I was thinking, I hope you're not going to beat me up here. He said, guy. guy said, no, don't worry. Um, I just locked my keys in a car, so I need to break the window in order to get in the car, in order to get you out of here. <laughs> so, now, 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm in the middle of downtown with three strangers. Actually, one is not. It's my countryman, but two ladies are strangers. We're breaking into the car, and now I'm praying, oh, my God, I hope police is not going to show up now. Because if they show up now, they're not going to be any help. <laughs> so I remember his name is Ivan or Ivan. He's a Croatian. I'm Serb. At that time, we were just Yugoslavians. We yes. love each other. And uh, the guy took me out on the freeway 101, and I went home. So... Wow! Of all the people. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He was drunk, though, wasn't he? He, he was driving. He wasn't driving drunk, was he? Oh yeah, big time. Oh dear, big time. But you know, what should I give him a lesson? You don't do that. <laughs> you save right, my right. life. Yeah, I hope he. I hope he got home all right and without hurting anybody else. But yeah, of all I the people that you would I run into, heard, yeah, I never heard that. I never heard from him or. You know, he knows some people that I know because in the conversation, brief conversation around the car, he asked me where I am, who I know, who I'm visiting, where I'm going out and things like that. And he knows some people. So, Oh, my gosh. Um, but that, uh, that was the God sent messenger. I'll say. Just to find out the single person in the middle of the million yes people town in the middle of the night that speaks my language because no other language I speak but mine and he speaks mine. That is remarkable. Stanko, thank you. Terrific story. Thank you so much for that. Encounters with strangers that changed your life. Uh, Clint is in Spring, Texas. Clint, welcome to Coast. Good morning. Oh, we lost Clint. 
All right. Uh, we're going to try first time caller. Steve's in the great state of Florida. Steve, good morning. Welcome. Um, I, they had this thing come up with AM radio, right? And and getting rid of AM radio and the new electric cars, EVs. And I was looking into that, and I said, well, why are they getting rid of it? And then you look into it, and it, and they say that it's just hard for a reception. I said, why would it be hard for a reception? And then you stumble across, it's a thing called EMF. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. of that, EMF? Of course Radiation. I have, electromagnetic frequency, yes. And there's a reason you don't build a house underneath uh, high-voltage power lines, right? Same reason, right? Because you don't want to be exposed right. to a lot of EMF. Well, the reason that electric cars are, having, are getting rid of this is because the battery is in one part of the car and the motor's in the other, you have that electric current flowing on throughout the car and it's hard to get am reception just like when you're driving out in a car and you have a weak am signal all of a sudden it'll drop out right when you right, get under right. the power lines and then come back right. well same thing for an am radio in a car there's so much emf now in the new electric cars that tesla's been having this problem since 2018 that they have an AM radio reception problem that you have to do all kinds of stuff um, and cancel out the EMF energy, you know, close in a lot of the cabling and stuff in the car. I had no idea, but it makes perfect sense. Um, and I, said, I think that, how, yeah. how is that good for if, if my radio, it's like, it's like a bird. It's like having a canary in a, in a coal mine, right? If the canary yeah. drops dead, there's something wrong. If I can't receive AM radio because there's so much frequent uh, radiation coming from my car, electronic radiation, uh, EMF, that I can't receive AM radio, there's probably not a good thing about that. Uh, that makes sense. My uncle was born. I, it, it makes sense. It makes sense what you're saying. I, I, uh, I'm not entirely convinced that... Uh, Electric cars are going to take off the way they think they are. You know, um, in Canada, and I think in some places in the U.S., I think, uh, well, maybe Joe Biden has announced this. In Canada, they don't want to sell. They're, they're going to pass a law. No, no new gasoline cars after the year 2035. Uh, that's like 12 years away from now. We just don't we don't have the infrastructure. There are no charging stations. Nobody's buying them. In fact, the top five vehicles being sold in Canada as of today 2023 the top 5 vehicles are all they're either SUVs or they're pickup trucks uh nobody wants electric cars up here a very few people maybe 1% i don't think it's i don't think electric cars are the future quite maybe in i don't know maybe in 50 60 years but i think gas gasoline fossil fuels are going to be with us for a long time to come uh, but that's an interesting, that's an interesting problem. I never thought of that. No AM in the electric cars. Another reason not to, to like electric cars. Uh, let's say hi to, uh, Jake, who is in New Mexico. Jake, welcome to coast. Okay. How you doing? I really appreciate, uh, you treat people really compassionately. I think. Well, oh, thank you. You know, that's, 
that's what I like hearing in program. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll try to stream like this. Uh, my uh, grandfather, uh, Ray Dawson, was uh, from Toronto, and oh. uh, he ended up down in uh, working as a site engineer on the uh, Hoover Dam Boulder Dam project. Wow. Yeah, and uh, what he did with his savings afterwards, he bought up the Shell franchise, which was a brand new thing, and and he was quite quite, quite the gear gearhead, and he was was a barnstormer and a biplane and built his own stuff, and you know he was he was quite the intrepid guy. Anyway, the long and the short of it, he had a cousin uh, by the name of Ray L. Pratt. Um, who was a missionary. I knew of him, heard his name, and he was a missionary from Tempe, Arizona, down into Sonora, Mexico. Uh, and uh, I knew his name, but I'd never seen a picture of him or anything. And uh, my uh, from Vegas, my uh, grandfather used to like to uh, 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 barnstorm and go down into Mexico in the Gulf and uh, bring back uh, lobsters for uh, the uh, restaurants, <laughs> cool. you know, and he was quite. I got about a minute here, uh, Jake. I got about a minute. Okay, the long and the short of it, I went to Nam uh, with Lund Thurmer Kelv. I've got blown up uh, my on a, uh, in a landmine. Uh, I was in an APCA cab with my friends, and uh, we got hit with a minement for tanks, which is and oh uh, dear. I went straight up, came straight back down. And landed on the backing plate that we sat on. I was an M60 gunner and just jarred horribly, but I immediately bounced up with adrenaline after the smoke cleared. I was uh, shot until I ran out of ammunition. And then I looked around my track, and my corner was all that was left of it. Wow. And my friends were gone. Oh, dear. Interesting. A couple days before that, they'd some in-bed reporters had flown in and taken a picture of us. And later on, that picture ended up the memorial. Uh, oh. And and uh, I've always kept that with me. They, uh, It's listed as a Marine. We were 11th Armored Cav with a patent. And uh, it was listed as Marine J.E. Donnelly, which turns out was pretty much my double. And I thought, well, that's fine. It's, it's for all of us, so that didn't mean nothing, you know. But it, it it kept it in my heart because my guys were gone. There yeah. was nothing even left to gather. That explosion was so big. And wow. uh, but uh, not long after that, I was still a teenager when I got out. And uh, I was down in uh, a good friend of mine down in Tucson. I said, "Ah, oh, come on down here and take it easy." And uh, and uh, I ended up being a, uh, a night manager for a Waffle House. And um, Anyway, late one night, and I'm, you know, I'm. Jake, got to wrap it up. I got about ten seconds here. Who did you meet? Who did you meet at the Waffle House? A stranger came in. I served him my stuff. I handed him water. He said, "Hey, man, don't find." I was kind of depressed. Kind of depressed, and he said, "Keep the faith." And uh, I uh, and I turned and I looked again, and he was gone. Oh, there you go. Hey, Jake, thank you for your service. Thank you for your call. Thank you all. For George Norrie, George Napoli's Alliance, Stephanie Smith, Tom Danheiser, Dan Galati, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, and Sean Lattisor. And special thanks to North Serrett for the bumper music selections. I'm Richard Serrett. 
Thank you for your ears and your voices, your beautiful voices. Until tonight, so long for now.